Hi there. Do you want to write fiction that readers gush about, but you can't figure out how to fill in the beginning, middle, or end of your story? I can help with that. Do you struggle to flesh out character or plot or to stick with your story long enough to finish it? I can help with that. Once your book is written, are you totally clueless about marketing? Do you find yourself Googling how to market a book or how to make money on fiction? I can help with that. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. You know you're meant to write fiction, but you can't seem to nail down the skills or processes that make it simple and repeatable, not to mention fun. So you wait around for the muse to show up, try to force your story into a template or outline, or take months, if not years, to discover your story. Plot twist, there's a better way. Hi, I'm Liesl, USA Today bestselling author, story psychologist, writing craft geek, Christian, and story clarity coach. After 10 years of trying to master fiction using the old industry standard writing advice, I still felt lost. I finally learned what fictional storytelling and the human template are really about. Humanity, emotional connection, and serving our readers by giving them relief through vicarious experience. Imagine learning how to flesh out your characters, plot, world, and theme with such definition and clarity that every story you ever write lands with readers and makes people go, wow, now there's an author. Imagine knowing how to drill down to the heart of your story to learn what it's really about and tell the unique story that only you can tell so that you can get more readers, more downloads, more royalties, and of course, more fiction writing success. This is the podcast for you. We are prolific authors. All right, welcome Before back you to go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors Anna? you think might benefit from it? I'm great. From it? How are Remember, you? Remember, the rising tide I'm lifts I'm all good. boats. So, um, also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's sure. the only way for so, me to know yes, that you're enjoying the Anna podcast, and it helps and Apple I recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the Prolific Author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Live. Thank you so much for listening so today. I, I Happy story crafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome. Good, good. And you write, you're not an indie author, right? You write for Harlequin. I am primarily a Harlequin author, yes. I've done some indie stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm not one of the ones who are well-wired for indie publishing because I just want to write the books and be done. <laughs> but um, I also write for a small press, Ark Manor, uh, their Kasich Romance line. Uh, and my first book with them actually comes out in November. So oh. small press, big press, a little bit of indie. So... Wherever anybody will have my stuff, I'll put it there. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So, I mean, most of my audience is probably going to be indie authors, but I know that a lot of them are very curious about self-publishing and whether that would be something that they would like to go into. So can you talk about the, you know, how it's different being a traditional versus an indie since you have dabbled in indie a little bit? Sure. Um, I think uh, the difference between really comes down to control and how much control you want to have over your product and your career, right? So Mm -hmm. um, for indie authors, they're doing everything. They're writing the book, they're hiring the editor, they're hiring the cover designer, they're having a say over the cover. They have micromanagement control over absolutely everything that goes into their product awesome. That takes way too much time for me. (laughs) So being a traditionally published author, um, I pitch the book to my editor. Uh, We sign a contract. It's usually for multiple books. Um, I get paid in three installments, uh, a third upon signing, a third upon partial submission, and a third upon completion of of that book. 
Um, and is that per book? You get paid in three installments for each yes. book you get with them? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, I pretty much write the book, turn it in, and then I uh, am told when to fill out what's called the art fact sheet, which is just pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Uh, and I give all the details about the book. I write a new summary, all that kind of stuff. I turn it in and they take it over. They do it. Now that's for Harlequin and uh, bigger houses. For my small press, it was I was very interested to find out that I would be writing my own back cover blurb, which I hate doing. So uh, <laughs> that was a challenge. Uh, but uh, this is where having a great network of fellow authors <laughs> to uh, send it to and what works and what doesn't work and how would you tweak this kind of thing. So it's a little bit more work with small press. Uh, they certainly uh, have a different way of doing things than Harlequin does because Harlequin is such a big machine and right. you know, they churn stuff out pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the three deal difference. I like traditional publishing because I literally want to write the book, turn it in, and then they tell me what else they need for me. And then I can move on to the next book. Uh, mm -hmm. And doing that allows me to write anywhere between three and five books for Harlequin a year. So when you say you get paid in three installments, is that, do you just get paid that flat fee, but you don't actually get royalties beyond that? Get royalties once I earn out on that advance. Okay. Gotcha, so like gotcha. my, my heartwarmings, unfortunately don't tend to earn out. Um, there it's a line that I don't think a lot of people realize is out there. It's a sweet romance. Uh, it's a lot like the love inspired, but it's without the faith element. So um, there's no sex on the page. It's, it's very little heat level. Uh, and it's really about the, the, the severe emotional connection between the characters. Um, so my heartwarmings don't tend to earn out on that advance. My romantic suspenses, on the other hand, they earn out. And also because they're on shelves. Heartwarming is only uh, digital and online. Uh, to purchase the paperbacks, they aren't actually physically in stores. Uh, the Harlequin Romantic Suspense line, at least so far, is still in stores. And I think that kind of helps boost those uh, numbers up a little bit. Sure. So writing so much romance, do you, do you find that a lot of romance readers like to have a, an actual print book then instead of I'm really surprised at how many people still do. And that makes me happy because I prefer print personally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I still automatically go to that one click and then wait for the mail to arrive. But um, it's, it's interesting. I think it's also generational. I think um, a lot of older people still like the print books. And what's great about the heartwarming books is they're large print. So, uh, um, and I am finding as I get older, I appreciate that large print. <laughs> yep. But um, so, yeah, it's, I, the romantic suspense does, I'm surprised at how well it does in print sales. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say probably the majority is probably digital. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that, if, if you had seen a big difference there. So you've written more than 50 titles in, in how many years? Um, my first Harlequin novella came out in 2014. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. About, uh, what is that? About eight years? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. still, that's still such a, a great accomplishment. So how do you keep churning them out like that? Do you have particular secrets or processes that you use? You know, I'm really fortunate that I can write full time. So that makes a big difference. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I, I am not 
really a person who goes out and does a lot of stuff. So um, I have my set schedule. I tend to write in the morning between eight and noon. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the day is uh, usually devoted either to my cats or to my mother <laughs> who <laughs> lives down the hall from me. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just, and, and uh, as long as I can stay focused and keep to that morning ritual, I'm pretty good at keeping up on deadlines. Uh, I had a bit of a scramble catching up after a few that I missed um, over COVID, uh, mm -hmm. just because on top of COVID, my mother got sick with heart issues and I couldn't mm -hmm. write anything and my brain just wasn't in the right space. So I've been hamstringing right. it since then. But uh, I now only have one book to turn in to catch up on all the deadlines that I missed. So um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's getting there. It's, it's, you got to take life as it happens. And sometimes that means you have to adjust deadlines out. And fortunately, my editors uh, have been really good about uh, being willing to adjust. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I, I hope your mother's doing better now. She's much better. Yes. Good. Good. <laughs> But I, I think it's interesting, and I, I really just want to emphasize this, that you only write for four hours a day from eight to 12. And so, you know, that, that's, like I said, it's quite an accomplishment, 50 titles in eight years. And you did that. I mean, even though you write full time, the actual writing, the doing of it is only four hours a day. And do you do that like five days a week, seven days a week? It's, I, try, I aim for five. Sometimes okay. it's six. I, I do try to take at least one day off where I'm not writing, but my brain is always thinking it. So I mm -hmm. hopefully if everything is going well, all that thinking that I do on the downtime puts me in the right place to sit down at the next morning and be able to pick up and know where the story's going to go. It's also the time when I figure out what's gone wrong with the story and I have to rework. But uh, yeah, and I, and I think most, most everybody watching this can relate to the fact that even when your hands aren't on the keyboard, you're still writing because you're either thinking about right. the story or the characters or something, you're working stuff out in the back of your head. So um, while it's four hours, hopefully dedicated to the keyboard, uh, it tends to be more than that per day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know I definitely do that. So I, I did notice too that you you said that you you write large ensemble cast of characters. So can you tell me about that a little? I'm always interested to find people who do that because I do that, but not <laughs> everybody does. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's the it's the type of romances I always love to read. Um, you know, when Nora Roberts used to put out her trilogies or her quadrologies or whatever you want to call those uh there was always a core group of friends and they were each kind of dealing with the same story as it went along um and you got to know all of the characters kind of bit by bit through each of the books and because those are the stories i love to read that's what i naturally gravitate to i think when i'm writing and i always say my my books are always about family not necessarily the family you're born to but the family you create for yourself so mm -hmm. i always have a really close-knit group of friends be they uh, the heroes or the heroines sometimes they're both um my butterfly harbor series was you know a small town uh where everybody knows each other so everybody was kind of in and out of each other's lives um and it lands a, a bit of authenticity to real life because that's how we all live, right? We all have our family. Mm -hmm. We all have our friends. Sometimes they overlap. A lot of times they overlap, especially if you're lucky. Um, <laughs> and then in my romantic suspense, somehow they all get drawn into the same, right. <laughs> the same mystery angle and they're all working together. So most of my books are are really a focus on how how we as people relate to one, each other, to one another and uh, lift each other up and are always there as a support system, 
Uh, so adding all of those characters to my books is always is always really fun. And I always try really hard to make sure that each character is very carefully distinguished. So you're not wondering who is that person again? So that's I think that's really where the, where the tricky part comes in. Uh, but uh, the more you write those characters, the more you realize how different they are from each other. Yeah, and, and I wanted to get into that. So first of all, let me clarify, when you have this ensemble cast, because you were talking about Nora Roberts having different couples, do you have different romances within the same book between different couples? Or is it just one couple that's the romance and the rest are just friends? I focus on one couple per per book. Uh, okay. That's not to say there aren't breadcrumbs kind of alluding to who the couples are going to be in future books. In fact, right, I just right. finished editing a book like that, that my editor kind of went, oh, hero alert, who's this for? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could tell you, but then it won't be a surprise when I write the book. So, right. um, so yeah, it's, it's always focused on one couple with little hints of what's to come. Okay, so then going back to what you said, do you have any tips or tricks for keeping those character voices really distinctive so that they don't all sound like the same person? Yeah, a uh, couple of tips actually. First is to keep a list of your character names and you don't want any character names that start with the same letter. You, um, and I, I, it's funny how I come across it every once in a while in a book and I'm like, I, I call it the Anna Karenina syndrome because Russian literature is notorious for having everybody's initials be the same thing. And right, right. I never want to do that. So every book I started, I always have an alphabet sheet and I fill in the names so that I'm making sure I don't repeat uh, you know, anything that could be confused for one another. I also make sure that they don't rhyme. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times without realizing it until the book is published. And I'm like, oh, that was unfortunate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know that I've done the rhyme, but I've definitely done the same first letter. And I, I almost feel like I default toward that and have to like catch myself and be like, ah, don't do that. But yeah. I wonder if a lot of authors do, you know, and it's just something we got to look out for. Yeah. And there are always letters I gravitate towards. Like, I mean, I don't know how many times I've used a, a C or a K for the, for the name. And I'm like, okay, I got to get away from that and try something different for a change. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing is I, I try to give, uh, going in, I try to give them very different professions. Uh, for hmm. example, my November book exposed, which comes out um, this November 15th. That's the book I just finished edits on this morning, actually. Um, I have uh, five groups of friends. I call this my women's murder club meets LA confidential. So they're all dealing with the mystery. <laughs> they all have very different careers. So my first uh, heroine, R Riley is a paparazzi and a photographer. And her best friend is a high priced defense lawyer. And then I've got a dietitian in there. I've got an accountant in there and I have a, a former forensic specialist. So I make sure that uh, I give them professions that would almost lend to its own type of speaking, its own type of presenting, the way that they relate to people. And that all of that um, gives you things that you can use, how people move, how people uh, speak to one another. Uh, a lawyer is going to be very direct and very, you know, eye contact and very matter of fact in how she speaks. And that would be my character of Laurel. And then you've got Riley, who is the photographer and the paparazzi, who's kind of a little bit always looking for the next story. So she's kind of always looking for what comes next. So she's not necessarily as firm with the eye contact because she's always thinking about something else. So right. um, adding all of those kinds of things in uh, helps to define each character 
And it also, um, that way you see those characters and those mannerisms through your main character's point of view. And that way, when you get to that character's story, uh, you've kind of already got it locked in, hopefully for the readers who are going along for the whole ride. Um, uh, The character doesn't come as quite a surprise, but now you're gonna see that character through their own eyes instead of how everybody else is viewing them. So I really enjoy that kind of interplay, like setting up the character for what's gonna come down the road and how my different heroines view another heroine. And then when you get into her head, whether or not that matches expectations or whether she's keeping secrets or whether she's really what she appears to be, all that kind of stuff kind of plays in. Yeah, yeah, I really like that, that you focus on the profession. And I think it's important, probably more so than at least new writers realize to be very purposeful about it. If you're just kind of throwing it in there, sort of pantsing it, you're not gonna get that detail that you talked about. I mean, that's a lot of detail and a lot of concrete way to write the character. So how long do you take to to plan that out before you actually sit down to start typing your story? You know, I'm not a plotter, first of all. Okay. So most of most of what happens in the books, I know generally what's going to happen. I didn't with this particular suspense because writing for a small press, I didn't have to sell on proposal. They pretty mm. much said, what do you want to write? And I like, oh, have I got this idea? And I just literally said, it's LA Confidential meets Women's Murder Club. And she said, great, write it, let's go. And from there, um, I grab a notebook, spiral notebook. School supply season is my happy place. Me too, Um, yeah. (laughs) College old spiral notebooks. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) And then I just start uh, working on name choices first. The names for me always come first. And then I look at the different professions that I'm going to be wanting to put them in. And I want to make sure that the name kind of fits the profession. Uh, because there are some names you can use that just really, really somebody named this would become that. I'm not really sure I buy that. And then, uh, then I do the same thing with the heroes that I know I'm going to be matching them up with, uh, and what their, uh, professions are. And then I look to see how those professions conflict. Uh, mainly because that'll give me an added element of conflict in the story, which is something that I'm always looking to do as much as possible. Uh, right. Is everything, especially in a romance. So like for this series of books, I have, uh, like I said, I have the, the paparazzi and the, and the lawyer and all that, but my paparazzi is paired off with a cop, but because of her history, having photographed various things that are going on in Los Angeles, she doesn't have the best attitude about cops. She doesn't have the best image of them, especially from things that she's witnessed herself personally. So adding in that layer of conflict really, um, uh, really helped me develop the story. Um, Another thing that I did in this, and this is a fun way to kind of add in Easter eggs, at least for me, is that because this particular series deals a lot with old Hollywood and um, Hollywood studio system and all that kind of stuff, I chose character names that have part old actor names in them like uh, my hero is Quinn Burton in this first book and that's from Anthony Quinn and Richard Burton two of my favorite actors and then Riley Temple is partially named after Shirley Temple who was you know one of my favorites growing up so I did that with all of the characters so it's a fun little easter egg I got to put in there and that's another thing you can do with these kind when you have large casts of characters is you can find interesting ways uh, that down the road could be built in promotional fodder for yeah. you 
and um and add that in so it's it's yeah so it's it's that's kind of what my process is and then the the notebook eventually goes by the wayside i transfer the final decisions over into OneNote, which is something i've just recently started so i'm all digitized uh <laughs> and i'm trying to keep bibles now because i never used to i used to rely on my brain yeah i can't rely on my brain anymore too many books too many characters <laughs> right right <laughs> and all that kind of stuff you got to keep the story bible Exactly. No, I love that you said that you you think about promotional before you even start writing, because I mean, you already know that you have a, a romance audience, but even if they don't know what the story is, even if they're not that familiar with what the plot is, just to say I used old Hollywood names, you're going to get people who want to read it just for that, because that's so fun, you know, so yeah. that's, that's really, really good that you um, think about it beforehand. I think that's, I mean, how, how important do you think it is to think about promotion while you're doing the writing rather than writing and then going, oh, how am I going to promote this, you know? Well, I, th I think it's very important these days because whether you're traditionally or independently published, you're going to be doing the promo. It's just going to fall right. on you no matter what. Uh, you know, I have 25 books with Harlequin um, and they have a very short window life on those books. I have a book out this month, uh, Wyoming Promise. Uh, but by the time the end of the month rolls around, their Harlequin's on to the next month of books. So I've got a short period of space to promote that particular title, which the good news is that is I've got short space to promote that title and I can move on too. <laughs> right, right. But with with this new series that I'm doing with the small press, um, I've I as I was writing the book, I was thinking, okay, how are how can I take certain things and use this and twist them into promotion? And one of the things I'm doing this time, which I have never done before, is I actually created a book trailer and uh, I'm a Canva junkie. Uh, uh -huh. and I saw, Oh, they've actually got this. So let me see how this works. And I actually put together something that I thought turned out really, really well. And my publisher loves it. They're even going to put it up on their website. So, um, and doing a trailer like that helps me condense the story down into what the story is really about, like in like what, eight lines, maybe, cause I right. think maybe 12 slides total. And it, it helps me condense the story and help with an elevator pitch type thing and also get to the crux of what the story is really about so yeah, yeah promote promotion and you know i'm going to be doing a giveaway uh that's a charm either bracelet or keychain i haven't decided yet where there'll be a charm that represents each book so um all of this stuff usually is coming into my head as i'm writing the book which is another page on my one notes <laughs> program right. so i don't forget right. anything but yeah, absolutely. You have to be thinking about promotion because you have to figure out a way that your book stands out from everywhere else. Yeah, for sure. That's the only way you get sales. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much competition today that you got to figure out how to do that. Exactly. Um, so just to tangent a little bit, tell me about that. Cause I've not used the Canva for trailers. Do you just do, um, you said slides. So do, do you just do still pictures and put in the words for it's, it's both still pictures and it's also video clips. So what okay. I discovered is that Canva has video clips as well and their search engine's pretty good. I mean, I think I put the trailer together in about two days because part of it was figuring out how the whole thing worked. Right. I mean, I, I was pretty and, yeah. good at doing the, you know, insert picture, insert cover, put something down writing wise and you're done and you can post it straight to to Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but with the trailer and then, and I found out by accident, you can add music. They actually have music clips that you can add to it too. So nice. I was, I was able to play around with that and 
this type of music doesn't work really well. This one actually works really well. And you can edit the music into the part of the music that you want. It was really cool. I mean, I was really surprised at how extensive it really was. And it's included in your pro membership, which I think is only a hundred bucks a year. Yeah. Considering how much I use Canva, that is a steal. And I hope they're not listening to this because I don't want them to raise their prices. (laughs) But um, they seem to keep building on what they've already established they're really good at. And so far, that's working really, really well. I'll have to try that. Yeah, that sounds fun. That sounds exciting. And I think, um, so let me ask you this. One of the things that I teach is doing the internal first rather than the plot, because I think you need to build your plot around your internal. And I don't know if you actually plan that way, but given that you write romances, I mean, how important is it to make sure that you've really got the internal arcs nailed down and how important is it to use those internal arcs in the promotion? Um, well, for the, well, I'll answer the promotion part first is that I think it kind of feeds into itself naturally, because once you get to the promotion part, you know what the book's about. So you know what to zero in on, uh, Mm -hmm. especially writing for Harlequin. I write very trope heavy. So it's, it's, it's easy to just, uh, you know, say it's a marriage of convenience and uh, best friends to lovers kind of story, which is what my Wyoming promise is about. Um, Incidentally, that's the first of five books. So the other four books are written by other friends of mine. So we've got a continuity series where we all wrote together um, within the same family. So that's, that's really fun too. Uh, It's a challenge, but it's fun. Uh, But um, for me, the internal con- the internal is all about the internal conflict between the characters, right? And it's mm-hmm. the clash of belief systems and why these two people really should not work together. Mm-hmm. And um, once I get that, and I and I guess that's what the internal internal story is. Uh, sometimes that's what comes first, and for me, sometimes the plot comes first, and then I fit the characters into the plot in a way that I know will be realistic and keep up with that internal conflict as well as the external conflict. Um, And it's a little harder to find the external conflict, I think in the straight contemporary romance than it is in a romantic suspense. Because romantic suspense is, you know, I can, you know, I can blow something up or I can kill somebody off or something that that will intensify that experience for them and add that element of danger. But with the contemporary romance, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to find those external plot points that's really gonna drive uh, the emotional story of the hero and the heroine. Yeah, it's always a challenge, isn't it? It is. So I, I did wanna ask you about, you know, speaking of contemporary romance, you said that you love to build worlds for your characters to live in, whether they be magical realms or just a neighborhood. So. I do write a lot of fantasy and so I talk about world building and I think Mm. people kind of get this idea that, okay, well, world building is for worlds that are different than ours. It's for fantasy and historical and things like that. So can you talk about how you go about world building for a contemporary setting? Sure. Um, And uh, this is especially important when you're creating a fictional town or even a fictional area within a town that actually does exist. Um, so my Butterfly Harbor books, it's small town. It's based on the Monterey area here in California and it's specifically a small town called Pacific Grove. So, um, I took elements of those and put in, you know, different stores and how the, how the, how the, um, 
naming of the streets go. You know, if you go in one direction, there are lanes. If you go in another direction, there, you know, there are roads or, you know, something like that. So it's right. the world building. I, I call it construction from the ground up. And I've written paranormal. So I know how the world building works in paranormal where the added element with paranormal world building is you're also establishing the rules of the magic, right? right. Or the rules of the otherworldly. But in a contemporary romance or even a romantic suspense, you still have to build the world that your characters live in. Where do they live? How do they live? Um, uh, what's the neighborhood around them? Do, are they close to their neighbors around them? What's the community like? All of that is world building. Um, and, and I, and I, I I agree. It is just as important in every kind of uh, book that you're writing and not just the paranormal. I think with the paranormal and the fantasy and um, even science fiction, you have to establish the rules and stick to the rules. Uh, I think mm. you have a little bit more leeway when you're writing a contemporary or romantic suspense because the rules are kind of all over the place. There, there, there are a lot of shades of gray in right. fictional contemporary. Uh, but when you've set rules in place for something that contains magic and otherworldly elements, um, you have to create really strict rules as far as how things happen and what the consequences for the things that happen are. But yeah, and, and world building for contemporary is really fun. I mean, you get to draw maps in, in either right? Only mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, this is Tolkien's mountain range of for Lord of the Rings, you've got, here's the main street of the small town. This is where the comic book store, this is the bookstore. This is the diner where everybody goes to get their gossip or the, or the hardware store that's also a postal annex. So you set all of those things into place so that when your characters walk onto the, onto the page, so to speak, um, they're bringing the reader along with them so that the reader sees everything that the characters do and the lives that the characters are leading. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you actually do maps and, and put them in your books and make use of that? I did with this last one and I had to with Butterfly Harbor the further I got into the story, uh, the series, because I wrote 12 in the series. By the time I got to book eight, I'm like, I don't remember where anything is. So I had to go <laughs> back and look everything up. And from now on, when I start a series, I will do that from the start. In fact, I just wrote the first book in a new series that takes place in Hawaii and created a small town on the big island. And I've already got like a sketch as far as, okay, this is the main street. These are the different stores I've already mentioned. And if I walk up this road, it takes me to the school. If I walk down this way, it takes me to the sea cottage and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I visually, I think it helps me ground myself in the town that I've created. And also, so I don't take wrong turns because I have learned that I have right. moved things around in Butterfly Harbor and readers have caught it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how, how much time do you have in your life to worry about a fictional town and whether or not the bookstore is on this street or on this street, but they will catch it. So it's yeah. my responsibility to get it right. Well, it just shows you have some diehard fans out there, you know, who really that's true. Carefully. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And do you, do you do the maps yourself or do you, are you actually having them professionally created now? Oh no, I do every, I do everything myself. I, okay. um, yeah. It costs too much because if I'd want it done, you know, if I hired somebody to do it, I would want to pay for the absolute best because I don't skimp on art. Um, right. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to make a living at. So um, mm -hmm. would that I can get 
to the point where I can afford to have that done. That would be awesome. But for now, I just kind of sketch it out and I am not an artist by any means. <laughs> so I have to look in for map programs and see if there's something out there that makes it a little bit. I was going to ask, how do you, how do you do it then? Do you just, I mean, oh, how do you get it into the book? It's like squiggles and lines and X's and codes. So I like, if I okay. put an A here and then I have a decoder list over here and <laughs> A is this store and B is this store. It's, it's okay. fortunately, if I create it myself, then the shorthand is kind of already in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had somebody else do it, I'm not sure I would be as connected to the actual result. Yeah, if for that sure. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, great. I mean, thank you so much for talking to us about this. This is really interesting. And like I said, most of my uh, my audience isn't that well-versed in traditional publishing. So I think this is some stuff that they'll be really, really interested to hear. Um, do you have any kind of final advice for aspiring authors or aspiring, aspiring romance authors who are just kind of getting started and getting their feet wet? Yeah, I, I always have a, have a few things I like to throw out there. First of all, don't, um, don't tie yourself down to any one person's process. I think it's really important for authors to learn what their own process is. If that means, you know, trying out recommendations for how other authors work, great, try it out. But the second you know it doesn't work for you, toss it away and 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 kind of buckle down and really try to figure out what your own process is. As many authors as there are out there, that's as many ways as there is to write a book. Um, you cannot, none of us can write the way Stephen King does. None of us can write the way Jane Ann Krentz does or, uh, Melinda Curtis or, you know, Alison Brennan. You can't, you can't tie yourself down to somebody else's process. You have to figure out what your own is and your process is your process. You don't owe anybody explanation. You don't anybody an apology. You make work what works for you. And that, that to me is, is probably the biggest lesson that I learned. And um, my other word of advice is be open to options. When I first got serious about writing, I was writing paranormal romance. That is, that is the only thing I had in my mindset because that was the dream. Paranormal romance stopped selling a number of years ago, at least in the way that I wanted to go. I wanted traditional publishing I finaled in a big contest with a paranormal urban fantasy romance. I had my mindset. And when New York said no, I'm like, what else am I going to do? Fortunately, I had an uh, agent at the time who said, what else do you have? And I reworked uh, the very first book I ever wrote, which was a contemporary romance with a little bit of suspense in it. And at the same time, a friend of mine said, hey, Heartwarming's looking to do an anthology for Christmas. Are you interested in maybe doing a short story? Never written a short story in my life. And I said, sure, because <laughs> how many times is an option like that going to come around? Right. So I just said yes. And I figured I'd figure it out later. And that was my first sale to Harlequin. So if I hadn't taken that alternate route to get to the dream of being published, as opposed to get to the dream of being published in paranormal romance, I don't think I would have 50 books behind me right now. I would still be trying to slog my way through, trying to, to get away in with paranormal romance, which may someday still happen. I hope so. But right mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm, I'm good where I am. Good, good. I, I love that. I love everything you said there. That's, that's really, really good advice. So where can um, my listeners find you and connect with you and find your books? So uh, everything is on my website, authorannastuart.com. 
um, all my uh, social media links, all of my books. It's a brand new website. It just went live a couple of weeks ago and I absolutely love it. Nice and streamlined and shiny and pretty (laughs) Uh, and easy to navigate, I hope, which was one of my requirements. So um, yeah, if you just head there, just click on books. I even have a printable uh, book list where you can check everything off. Uh, Some of the books on that list aren't available currently. Hence the indie publishing issues I have. I need to rework them and re-release them because I got the right back. So um, you won't see 50 books. There have been 50 books published over the last few years. Just not all of them are still available. So hopefully they will be soon. But my website, absolutely the best place to find me everywhere. Great, great. I will link that up in the show notes then. And, you know, again, thank you so much for talking to us and best of luck with all your writing. Thank you. You too. Thank you for having me. Sure. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors you think might benefit from it? Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. Also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the only way for me to know that you're enjoying the podcast and it helps Apple recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the prolific author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Lives. Thank you so much for listening today. Happy storycrafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome.